The whole earth is dark. The whole earth. Not just the lights in Jerusalem, not just the lights or shadows around Golgotha. The whole earth is dark. Darkness is universal, but the pain and the experience is personal. Peter, James, and John, from the night before, from the Last Supper, where are they now? Where have they all gone now? The high priests, the religious leaders, those who scoffed Jesus, the chanting crowds, where have they gone now? And, and what about all the pilgrims who were in town for Passover? No one's around? The whole place is dark? Can you hear them arguing from behind closed doors? Are they working on the details of the disastrous day they've witnessed? Everyone's gone? This is when Matthew, the storyteller, says the one thing he can say. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary stayed sitting in plain view of the tomb. I'm attracted to this kind of storytelling, this kind of less is more storytelling in the Bible when the details go missing, and that allows us space to move around in the story. Mary and Mary sit in plain view of the tomb. We presume they stayed there all night. Matthew wants us to think that. This is like, uh, you know, parents waiting up for teenagers who've missed curfew. Or this is like teenagers waiting for parents to fall asleep, staying up all night. Mary and Mary sit opposite the tomb. They actually do what Jesus asked of the disciples from the night before at the Last Supper. Stay awake with me. Be my companion. Here are two disciples willing to do so. Did they replay scenes from that day? I wonder, I imagine, they witnessed torture too difficult to forget. Did they really sit still all night? Do you think that they curled up in exhaustion at some point and fell asleep? Richard Rohr is helpful to me. Richard Rohr might say of these two disciples that sitting opposite the tomb, Mary and Mary, that they've now entered into a kind of crisis contemplation that they've begun to navigate their pain. Crisis contemplation. Rohr would say to us that Christians, especially in the Western world, we're not good at this. We're not good at contemplating our pain, mostly because we're in a hurry, mostly because we're addicted to shortcuts, the shortcut to anything. In the process, Rohr says, we've become naive about pain and suffering. When suffering comes, we try to handle it efficiently. We deny it, we medicate, uh, we use our willpower, we go to counseling, therapy, although therapy is a good thing, that's not his point. His point is actually, we try to handle suffering, uh, we try to handle suffering, and we forget the most obvious of truths. We can't handle suffering, suffering handles us. Mary and Mary have entered this kind of crisis contemplation now. It's a deep and mysterious place. All good and useful spirituality will address pain and suffering. What do I mean by that? Hey, friends, we can obey the commandments. We can have uh, religious convictions and adhere to doctrines. We can attend worship services all of our lives. But if we don't uh, work through pain and suffering and allow it to work through us, its natural cycle of loss and renewal 
Suffering can ruin our souls. It turns out in the Bible and in the Christian narrative, there is this cycle and this pattern of loss and renewal, loss and renewal. It's all through creation and the cosmos. This weekend over Resurrection Weekend, we'll talk about it as death and resurrection. Loss and renewal. It's at every level of our stories. Every species navigates this. There's one species, however, that avoids. There's one species that avoids this suffering at all costs. The human species. Suffering. Sitting still with it. When we do, it will genuinely lead us into this new experience rather than cause us to simply repeat the pain of the past again and again and again when we allow our suffering to lead us someplace. Mary and Mary, they have this useful instinct to sit still by the tomb with their pain and allow this suffering to work its way through their bodies. We have said many things about Silent Sabbath, this day between crucifixion and resurrection. Over the years, we have said many things about what seems to be happening on this day where God is absent, where God is dead. This is our 10-year anniversary at La Sierra University Church of, of commemorating Silent Sabbath. In these 10 years, we have, we've borrowed lyrics from Leonard Cohen, We've taken the counsel of Barbara Brown Taylor. We've uh, listened to challenges of Joan Chittister. And we've taken considerations of Karl Barth. We've quoted prophets and priests and poets and prisoners. We've, we've in this space, heard opera and chancel choir, organ and chamber music. We've heard the clarity of a solo cello play and the simplicity of a single voice sing and the cacophony of chaos. We've heard spirituals and raps and rhapsodies. We've heard pounding nails and clanging cymbals and claps of thunder and tearing fabric. We've had dance so contemporary on this stage no one understood it. And we've had chants so old, our memories are still haunted. We've had everything from a Hollywood tree in the middle of the platform, do you remember that? To Hollywood Jesus with the perfect hair. This place has been as dark as night and we could hear children cry. And then we lit up the ceiling with the lament. And it took our breath for 10 years, this community has told the story of the day God died. And then we told the story of the time Lowell Jordan with his power drill was working on a beam and his drill got stuck while his ladder fell out from under his feet and he waited for a rescue. We told the time Daniel Mall escaped violence in Pakistan and waited for Violet and four children to arrive in Los Angeles. We've told of waiting children in detainment centers talking to court-appointed translators and women in labor waiting to welcome life into the world. We've told our stories so we could better know God's story. And we tell God's story so we can better know our story. We've seen a communion table right here light on fire while Professor Maury Jackson gave us a communion homily. Go ahead and say it, because we know what you're thinking. Yep, it was fire. 
And we've seen fabric fall off of walls and wires and props propped over. We've seen members trip over cords. Most memorable of all these 10 years, though, is probably the time Jesus missed his music cue and was resurrected too early. Some of us have traveled far distances to never miss four days with Jesus, and especially silent Sabbath, and others of us stay away on this one particular dark day. We have said many things about God on silent Sabbath, and as Adventist Christians, we have a particular sense there is something we can say. What is God doing this day? This year, however, a virus is happening to us and it's brought us vulnerability and candor and honesty. It's got our attention like nothing else has had our collective attention in decades. None of us have been through an Easter weekend like this one. Shelter at home? When, when was that? What, what would have been the last time that happened to any of us? The, the last great war? The Great Depression? Last night, this church, the La Sierra University Church, did a communion service like we've never experienced it. Scattered in our homes all across Riverside, separated yet celebrating. And we ate tortillas and pita, pita bread and crackers and chips. And some of us tried our hand at making our own fresh communion bread. Some of us burnt it. Some of us didn't bake it. The congregation, this congregation, we purchased our first communion kit in 1923, a communion kit that would serve 120 people. We've been eating the communion bread from the Garrigus and Mina homes for decades now. And yet last night, we did something we never would have imagined. This particular communion only happened because a virus is happening to us all. It's in this cultural moment we're keeping watch then with Mary and Mary who sit opposite the tomb all night long. They might caution us that we not move too quickly, that we not make good news come out of trauma too quickly. Mary and Mary might tell me, the preacher, go easy with this crucifixion talk. You see, Christianity teaches that crucifixion is good news, actually. And as your pastor, I'm supposed to find that good news. I'm supposed to find the good news in crucifixion, and I'm supposed to preach it and teach it to you in as many ways as we possibly can. Though we're not consistent in Christian tradition throughout history, we say much about crucifixion. Jesus died with us. Jesus died for us. Jesus died because of us. Jesus died in place of us. Pick your preposition. Jesus dies. Jesus dies a cruel death, bullied by the religious elites who've rallied the crowds and made them part of this masquerade. Jesus dies. And on Holy Saturday Sabbath, the day Jesus lays in the tomb, Mary and Mary stare in disbelief, shouting to them that crucifixion is good news. Well, that's like trying to find a silver lining in a pandemic that's taking one life, what, every 50 seconds? Too soon. It's too soon to talk about good news. You know the phrase that we often use, I hear us use it when we're overwhelmed and we're feeling underwater, we cheer each other on, we'll say, you've got this, you've got this thing, man, you've got it. 
You can do difficult things. You're strong. You've got this. Sometimes we don't got this. I believe it's Martin Luther King Jr. who said, be careful of telling a man to pull himself up by his bootstraps if he doesn't have any boots. Here we are, keeping company with Mary and Mary, sitting barefoot by the tomb, and we're running barefoot through a pandemic. Sometimes reality is miserable, and we need to grieve it. Mary and Mary validate our instincts today. They, they cannot liberate the loss of their friend Jesus. They can only bear witness, church. Suffering belongs in our stories. Befriend suffering. You and I, we ought to befriend suffering. When we sit for, with it for a while, lessons will eventually come to us. Lessons will eventually come probably to Mary and Mary. Who knows when and how? Mary and Mary bear witness, however, to a God who, who didn't need to suffer, but who needed to come close. And in coming close, God suffers. In coming close, God suffers with you and with me. It's not the suffering that's redemptive. It's the solidarity God's solidarity with people. I, I don't know if Mary and Mary can sense all of this this day sitting across from the tomb. Our world is under the roof of a global quarantine right now. All of us around the world, nations will have stories to tell. Suffering is happening to all of us, though not at the same pace, no, not at the same depth, we're not all having the same experience. I was moved by a journalist this week who insisted that we not rush too soon to Easter Sunday. A journalist who said, Good Friday, that the trauma of Good Friday might have some lessons to teach us. There are painful pandemic lessons we're already starting to learn. Brown and black-skinned people suffering at different levels. The elderly the poor and the poorer suffering at different levels. Already marginalized communities, the imprisoned, suffering at greater levels. Suffering eventually gives us lessons. It is the Indian author, Arundhati Roy, who has said in these last couple of weeks that pandemic can be a portal. Let me read her words. Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This pandemic is no different. It's a portal. It's a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our data banks and our dead ideas. Or we can walk through lightly with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. We see glimpses of people walking through that portal this week. There are unprecedented cooperative efforts between science and laboratories. Dozens and dozens of scientists and laboratories this week sharing data and details and uh, uh, um, reagents and results. Solidarity with one another is possible. On Holy Week, Silent Sabbath, this pandemic may actually help Christianity rehabilitate our story. 
Because church, there was a time when the Christian convictions were actually dangerous in this world. There was a time when the convictions of Jesus were dangerous because Jesus believed that the suffering of all one of us was the suffering of all of us. It was solidarity that got Jesus in trouble. I don't know how long it might have taken for Mary and Mary to walk through that portal. I don't know how long it will take you and me when the Spirit says it's time, it's time. When the Spirit nudges you, it nudges you. That's when we begin to practice resurrection. Practice the life we imagine to be on the other side of the portal. And if you don't join us on Sunday morning, we'll be on Zoom. You can get there on our website, lasierra.church. Join us at 7 a.m. because we always wake up at 7 a.m. on Resurrection Sunday morning. If you don't join us Sunday morning, you miss the very best part of the story. Matthew betrays the ending. It's like, it's like he can't keep it to himself. In Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus takes his last breath, before we even get to the scene with Mary and Mary, when Jesus takes his last breath, Matthew says that the ground quakes and there's noise in the sky and rocks split open and graves open up and people are resurrected. Matthew can't keep it to himself. He tells the end of the story before the end of the story. Mary and Mary must not hear it. Mary and Mary, sitting and looking at the tomb, if all you feel capable of today is to sit still with Mary and Mary, that's plenty. Simply remember that what is happening to us is happening to God. And what's happening to God is happening to us. And I believe with all my heart there is no better place to be than in the good graces of God. Amen.